a student said to her about hookup culture, well, you know, it feels pretty bad to think that you've been used by someone, but it feels worse to think that no one wants to use you. I think I'm done with dating. I really don't think I want to do this anymore. I'm totally not good at it, apparently. And it's a lot of pain, and I just don't want to do it anymore. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. This is the second dating episode of three, so if you didn't listen to the first, you're missing out. Today we're going to focus on having a healthy attitude about dating and some of the more common pitfalls to avoid. You'll hear many of the same voices as the last episode, but some new ones too. First, let's be healthy, y'all. Hi, I'm Teresa Swick. I work at the USCCB. Teresa recognized that she had to deal with some wounds from her childhood before she was going to be ready to marry anyone. The number one thing that I have learned through my own experience is um, the need for reflecting on your experience growing up. When you were growing up, did you have the impression that your parents had a happy marriage? Did you ever feel neglected by them? Did you feel affirmed by them? Did you feel like they loved you and were proud of you? Or were there maybe some unhealthy dynamics in the family um, with one parent being really controlling or one parent um, having major depression or both parents having major depression, uh, which was the case in my family. And then so the follow-up question to that is, if I reflect on my childhood and I find that, yes, you know what, there were some pretty rough dynamics in my family have I healed from those on an emotional level? And the deeper those hurts are, the more help we need to heal them. And I would strongly recommend that help being from someone who's trained in that area. In other words, a mental health professional. She's quick to note that her experience did not include outright abuse. The experiences I had growing up did not look like trauma from the outside. My parents were married um, my entire childhood, they they did separate for a short time, and then they got back together, and they're actually doing really, really great. But for most of my childhood, my parents were married and together. We went to Mass every Sunday. We went to Catholic school. We had clothes on our back and food on the table. And I, I think those were even things I told myself. I have a perfect family. Mom and Dad are together. We go to Mass every Sunday. We're really faithful, so everything's good. Um, And what I've discovered is that everything was not good (laughs) in a big, big way. So so the, the trauma that I went through, I was never abused in any way, shape, or form. But as a, you know, even a five year old, not receiving attention from one of my parents because they were they they were suffering from major depression that left me traumatized that left me feeling invisible feeling not important feeling not seen and that has affected me and i am still working through trying to kind of reverse that way of seeing myself and this is probably part of a lot of people's stories and they may tell themselves that they have nothing to complain about and maybe um something you've gone through hasn't been because of your family maybe in high school or college you had a 
a really difficult time, you didn't have a lot of friends, or you went through a, a trauma of some sort, those things do not go away. They cannot be swept under the carpet. It just doesn't exist. Um, if you think you've swept something under the carpet, it is still inside of you. That carpet is inside of you. <laughs> so <laughs> there is no sweeping under the carpet. Um, I, I just, I, I can't state that enough. One way to check yourself as a single person is to ask, do you have joy? Are you happy? Are you trying to live your life to the full? Or is finding a marriage partner your number one goal in life? Because if it is, (laughs) I actually don't think you're going to have a lot of luck with it. (laughs) Some people do, but it can be a place of desperation, um, which would lead you to um, not exercise the best judgment in who you're dating. God does allow certain people to come into our path, and we have the freedom to engage with them or not to engage with them. This is Madeline Watkins. She also needed to grow a bit before dating. I'm Madeline Watkins, and I am a young adult living in the D.C. area. I have my master's in theological studies and marriage and family, and I work for the USCCB's Secretariat of Lady, Marriage, Family Life, and Youth. Early on in our dating story, I was not open to dating, like, at all. <laughs> Anyone. I, you know, I, I was being very black and white about how I was approach, approaching my life. I had been thinking about religious life for a few years. But in any event, you know, a couple of years had passed by, and I was getting to the point where, you know, there's this great man who came into my life, and I was noticing myself attracted to him and thinking, uh-oh, Lord, what's going on? This wasn't in the cards, you know? What's going on here? Madeline wanted certainty before dating. This is pretty natural, but it's also not usually possible. The Lord works when we move, when we make a step in a, in a direction, you know? And keep praying, keep listening to your heart. Her experience with dating and watching others date has led her to preach openness. If you do go on a date with someone and you're not really sure if you felt anything the first time, be open to a second date, maybe even a third date. And she laments the tendency to judge one's date. We shouldn't be pharisaical and dating other people and expect them to be at a certain place when the Lord works in mysterious, beautiful ways in everyone's life in different ways. And we, we have to be respectful of that too. So what about expectations? What is okay to expect? Here's Bishop Sis from the Diocese of San Angelo. Pick someone who shares your same beliefs, because when you have a shared faith, it's so much easier to have a harmonious relationship. Another thing is to choose someone who believes that marriage is sacred. Because if your boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't believe that marriage is sacred, then eventually if you get married, you're in for trouble. There are some clear boundaries that you have to establish as a Catholic if you want to date in a holy way. I know that in itself is a huge presumption because you listeners might be thinking, Dating and holiness have nothing to do with one another. Au contraire, my friend. On Made for Love, I am working from the standpoint of the church's understanding of love, and that includes, for example, no sex before marriage, and lots of other things, like how you treat each other. But sex is a nice, clear boundary. Is that something that you're saying should be, like, you know, verbalized at dinner? Or, in my (laughs) mind, it seems, you know, more appropriate to just communicate that if needed, 
at the moment when, you know, getting dropped off in the evening or something. I think it just kind of depends. I mean, I know for me, if I was starting to date someone early on, I would want them to know pretty early on what my non-negotiables are. And they are what the church teaches on chastity, you know, and so how to communicate that in a way where they understand that this is a boundary that is my boundary. And if you're okay with that, we can proceed on. If not, we got to go our separate ways. I don't think it necessarily is going to come up on its own. I think, you know, you, you as the person who has those beliefs is going to have to have that conversation at some point. Or you could just get a, someone who is like me and like ask permission to hold hands. Oh, <laughs> that's good too. Because the sex question is such a big one, it's important to communicate on that front what your values are and what you will or will not accept. So on this episode, that's kind of taken for granted, even though, as y'all know, you can't actually take it for granted at all. And we'll talk about that a little later. But it's interesting, to me at least, to see how many other non-essentials can get in our way. What I like to call the Hollywood Hallmark movie problematic. We're influenced by the idea that the type of guy or girl you should look for is going to have the bright, flashy characteristics, you know, the big personalities, the to be wealthy and successful, and all these different things, right? When we hold that against what Jesus says is valuable in the Gospels, <laughs> do they match up? Essentially, what we should be looking for are people who are virtuous and, and good people, people who want to be a loving partner, right? A loving husband or wife who want a family, who want to put others before themselves, who are hard workers, things like that. Things that you can build a life together on. And if someone, you know, asks you out on a date who maybe seems like he's not quite your typical type, but he seems like a really nice guy, a virtuous person, you know, give him a shot. See what the Lord reveals through those encounters. Virtuous people. When is the last time you really thought about virtue when dating? And when is the last time you thought to yourself, oh, if only I was more virtuous, then he would like me. That's not what we say, y'all. Some concrete examples I can think of are people who are perfectly nice and good and dateable people by any metric. They may be seeing someone for a few weeks and then all of a sudden the person they're seeing, quote, ghosts them. Hmm. Right, because they've you know met on these online platforms, and they can just cut them off from text or email or whatever communication app they're using, and just disappear with. And it really feeds into this whole throwaway culture, as Pope Francis had coined it. Oh, ghosting! How delightful! In case you ever wondered, y'all, ghosting is not virtuous. Here's somebody confessing to her own ghosting behavior. Hmm. Have you had any experience with ghosting? I think I used to do it. I think I used to go. And I think that was probably when I was younger and I just wasn't thinking, you know, about it from the other person's perspective and would get overwhelmed. It seemed meaner to me to like tell somebody I'm not interested than to let it go. And now I realize it's actually most of the time not. Ghosting. Don't do it. Okay, back to proper expectations. For Catholics who do care about virtue... We can even make that disordered by looking for basically a new incarnation of the Virgin Mary or St. Joseph. People have this highly romanticized view of what this perfectly holy, perfectly strong, perfectly noble Saint par- Ken. partner is going to be. Yes. <laughs> As I would like to say, St. Ken or St. Barbie. Right? I, I like that, yes. <laughs> 
yeah. and they have to look like that person too. They have to be a saint and look like Ken or Barbie, mm-hmm. which is pr- pretty difficult to find. <laughs> yeah. Looking for the Prince Charming from the woman's perspective, expecting this kind of Prince Charming, perfect guy, St. Joseph, and needing to be humble and recognize it's like, am I a saint? Do I, do I hold myself to the same high standard that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about for these other people? So if you are waiting for St. Ken, good luck. But on the other hand... Especially men who think, okay, I'm a guy who wants to date. They get this sneaky little idea that they don't even pay attention to in themselves that they are really a gift to women because they're not players. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just looking for sex. So you should you should tell me how good I am. You know, my mom tells me how great I am. And you, know, you should be so grateful. And then when they're not admired for that, which, guess what? They, they should be admired for that and respected for not disrespecting women. But lots of women sort of blow that off and don't treat that as a gift. But it doesn't mean I have to treat you like you're God's gift to women. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's a fine line. So I, I, I do work with a lot of good Catholic men have to be t- talked down off that ledge of like, I love Jesus and I'm not trying to get into bed with you so I can date higher than like I would have you know there's a little bit of that going on sometimes even in the midst of a good dating relationship anxiety related to our previous expectations can surface when I was dating my now husband I I started experiencing a lot of anxiety what would happen is my mind would kind of latch on to these things about Joe that were different from what I expected in my future husband so for instance he's a big bookworm and he's I don't know kind of like on the more quiet and the more old-fashioned side of things I just expected a different personality for me and so my mind would kind of latch on to these things and and say oh I don't know if he's right for me he's not this and he's not that and but I would take those thoughts and those concerns to prayer and time after time I would get peace And for me, that was a huge signal to stay in this. And it was a deep peace. And like I said, it was time after time. It was not like sometimes I got peace and sometimes I didn't. But when I had strong anxiety and I really brought it to prayer, that was God's way of telling me like, no, this is good. Peace is from God. That is so often how he speaks to us. Dating well requires prudence about when to reveal certain things. I once made a mistake of sharing too much information too early. Okay, good. And how did you know how did you know in retrospect that that was a mistake? Uh I forget her exact reaction, but it was yeah, it was pretty awkward. It's not like you have to say on the first date, Hi, my name is so and so and here's all my problems, let me air them out, you know, here's fact, all my wounds. I mean you know, In fact, doing it. that would be one of those red flags <laughs> that you want to stay away from. <laughs> It says in scripture not to cast your pearls before swine and, and your your history, your wounds, your struggles, those are pearls. And so I would say if you're starting to date someone and as you're con- starting to walk with this person, it takes time to build trust. I remember sort of learning over the years to just sort of have fun in the relationship at the beginning. But there was definitely a point at which I realized that I wanted to make sure Tom knew everything about me that he needed to know or should know or even things he might probably never wanted to know but 
I didn't want to keep moving forward unless he knew the whole package, unless he knew everything about me, unless he knew who he was getting. Part of that was my past. Part of that were all the different challenges I struggled with emotionally or psychologically or whatever. And so for him to be able to make the free, fully informed decision to marry me, he had to know everything about me. So I didn't reveal some of those things right away, but there was definitely a point where it was like, okay, this is somebody who I could possibly see getting married to. Before we go any further, for his, the sake of his heart and mine, I don't want to go any further without knowing for sure that he could accept those things about me and love me anyway. Because it's scary. It's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to think that something about you, because somebody could reject you for the things about you. And it's a rejection of yourself. And that's a, that's a horrible thing to happen. And so I think it's, I think it's smart to sort of protect yourself in the beginning until you see really, um, you know, not to trap the other person or to use the other person for whatever reason, but just to know that, you know, you're not going down a path that isn't going to lead somewhere to marriage someday. And dating isn't all fun all the time. Here's Dr. Cronin again. They've lost the ability to actually meet face-to-face, talk to somebody over an extended period of time, put your phone down, and to live through the mundane and the banal, right? I mean, relationship work, you it's like a road trip, right? Like you think a road trip's gonna be so exciting and we're gonna see all these great things, we're gonna to have these great conversations and we're going to listen to each other's music really and you know but a road trip when you get on it is actually lots of boring time lots of silence lots of wow I, I hate your music <laughs> lots of wow that was the Grand Canyon but now we've got to drive six hours a relationship is a lot more like a real road trip rather than the imagined road trip and We're in this culture, in our intensity culture, we want it to be the sort of imagined, uh, you know, Disneyland experience where you go on all the rides (laughs) all day long. But actually, it's more like a realistic road trip where you're getting somewhere and you are going to have those conversations and find out a lot about that person and yourself and see some beautiful things. But it's also going to be boring sometimes. There's a roller coaster of emotions that teenagers, or really everyone at some level, gets a thrill from. TV shows and movies keep your interest by prolonging that stage before the characters get together as long as possible. Why? It's boring to love somebody sometimes. (laughs) Because it's hard work. And you got to be there for those low periods, too, as well as the intense highs. Okay, now here's one of Dr. Cronin's more controversial convictions. She says that women need to ask men out. But I say, hey, look, ladies, (laughs) isn't it interesting that we're all very liberated except in this one area, right? Like, you're worthy of higher education. You're getting a degree. You want to make decisions in your life. All of, in all of these areas, you're quite progressive about women and women's place in the world. And yet, in this one instance, right, you're very traditional. And here's the thing. 
the reason we want that to be the case is because it's easier to sit back and let somebody else do the work. And I think in this culture, as skewed as it is, we all need to step up and be courageous. We can't just expect men to do the heavy lift alone. She points out that young men are in a really hard spot today. The more I talk to young adult males, I realize their world is really hard to navigate. It's really hard to calibrate the the difference between confidence and assertiveness and aggression. It's really hard to, to figure out if you're being confident and attractive or just a player. You know what I mean? It's it's not easy for them to figure out how to get it right. Carrie has been accused of not respecting the complementarity of men and women because of this opinion. I completely respect the difference between men and women, but we're all the same in the sense that we're scared and we're vulnerable and we need to learn how to be brave and resilient and be able to move on if it's not working. Dr. Gondreau of Providence College isn't sure about adopting this policy broadly. One of the running themes in my marriage course is that there are real differences between men and women. In relationships between men and women, men are by nature more the the pursuers. You know, the problem is, though, that today we live in a culture which has just thrown that, turned that completely on its head. And again, you got guys who don't even know how to ask a girl out on a date. In recovering the lost art of dating, uh, there is something to be said for the fact that this is something that guys normally take the lead on at this point in their lives and given the culture. I don't know how, how realistic that is really to expect that. As Robert points out, the fragile male ego is a real thing. Try as we might to present ourselves as emotionally impermeable, we definitely can feel deeply. He wants to encourage men to ask women out even though it's hard, and even though they've been burned before. I think men should still be encouraged to make the pursuit, to t- you know have the courage to be vulnerable, and there will be awkward times, there will be painful times. Carrie's argument for women asking men out was pretty convincing, I have to say. Women who tend to think, oh, I'm, I'm very traditional and I don't want to do this, tend to stealth date people. Which stealth dating is when you are dating a person, but they don't know it, right? It's when, like, it's all under the radar, right? You're just being friends, you're being the friend, or you're being, like, you're hanging out with the person. But in your mind, you're already well into the relationship. You've already, like, worked out all these, here's where we get along, here's where we don't. Oh, my gosh, I like his family, you know, all this. So stealth dating is what a lot of people do in lieu of just getting up the gumption and saying, hey, would you be interested in going on a date? I'm okay if you're not, but let's see if we can try this. What we do when we stealth date is we set up friendship, but what we really mean is something else. Guilty, y'all. Guilty. The problem with stealth dating, of course, is that you give your heart away and nobody knew that you were doing that. (laughs) In many cases, not even you knew it. You can get really hurt that way because, by the way, you can discover that you were dating somebody for six months and they had no idea, and that was a bad idea. I've done that uh, at least four times. You need to not worry about dating skills. You need to worry about signal skills. You're either not signaling 
or you're not reading people's signals well. That's what you need to work on. We'll talk about dating later, but signaling is your project right now. Signal skills. Yes, ma'am. I don't want to make any excuses for, you know, my fellow men out there. Yes, it's helpful if a woman provides signals or a little bit of flirtation or a little bit of further encouragement along the way during a pursuit. Here's Emily Risley. Uh, My name is Emily Risley, and I'm the Public Affairs Associate for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. When Emily was old enough to date, her mom told her about this way of thinking about flirting and signaling. Um, There's this concept that I, I try to tell my friends about that are still in the dating world about dropping the handkerchief so that he can pick it up and give it to you. So you sort of give little indicators of like, a little funny joke or very subtle flirting or saying something like, oh, I love this band. They're coming in town. How fun would that be to go? Or something little like that. Um, I remember Tyler and I, before we were dating, I would talk a lot about like going to do things in the city. Very like subtly, like saying like, oh my gosh, this would be so fun to do, right? And that was my sort of way of just like dropping the handkerchief and seeing if he would pick it up. And if he picks it up, then that's, he likes you. If he doesn't, then pick it up and throw it for somebody else. (laughs) What if he picks it up not knowing it's a handkerchief? Not knowing it's a handkerchief, then you need to to knock it out of his hands and try again. (laughs) Because guys need that sometimes. They need a little more obvious. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. Look at our culture. We have to be more cautious because we live in a much more sexualized society. We don't know what signal we're sending sometimes or how it's going to be received. I I think one of the challenges is that you can't automatically assume if you're at an event, either at church or in someone's home where, you know, most of the people there are people of faith or Catholic, you can't automatically assume, I never did as a woman, that everyone there is all about chastity. There are a lot of wounded people walking around. I mean, I think it's okay to share, like, Tom and I were not perfect angels. We have wounds of our from our past. And part of the dating process, I think, was, well, for me, it was really like, wow, this is somebody that I really want to have a good, holy relationship with. And because of it, my relationship with Tom was the holiest of all the relationships I've had. And that is partly how I knew that he was the one, because he was dedicated to that and he loved me. He didn't love like what he could get from me. The last thing I'm going to cover is breaking up and moving on. The ability to move on well is a habit that we all need to build. As you heard in the first episode, high achievers especially can have a hard time with rejection. This vulnerability is really playing a huge role for us all, but for people who are used to effort equaling success. Well, you know, that's part of life. you got to learn how to deal with rejection. It's okay. And just move on and ask someone else. I think dating to some extent is always going to be a little messy. Unrequited love always hurts. I think all of us, I don't know anyone who hasn't been through that. And it's always a little awkward. Some awkwardness is inevitable. Right. And it stings, you know. But if we can engage with one another in a way that respects the dignity of the other person, that recognizes the other person as a person, and not just, oh, no, this didn't work for me. Next then I think that that can help us to date in a healthier way. So what's the answer? It's not ghosting. 
speak the truth, but do so with love and to affirm him. But not patronizing. Right. Not patronizing. Exactly. Okay. Episode three is going to be exclusively stories from the trenches, failures, and successes. Some of those are pretty funny, y'all. Keep listening. We were made for love. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.